The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Thank you all very much, and uh, welcome to those here in the room, as well as to you on Zoom and on ACB Media. My name is Chris Prentice. I am the immediate past president of the American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys, and welcome to our session. This is our final session of today, and we are pleased to have with us uh, Ollie Cantos. Ollie has held uh, many positions over the years. Uh, we were just speaking. We, we first... Uh, encountered one another some 25 or so years ago and uh, uh, he's now serving as a city councilman for the city of West Covina, California and his, the title of, of this topic is running to win as as he ran and was elected as a as a blind candidate out in uh, West Covina, California. Uh, if you have questions for Ollie, let's save those for the end. I'm I'm sure, you know, politicians rarely have much to say, so I'm sure he'll be through, you know, by seven or eight o'clock tonight. So, uh, Ali, uh, uh, welcome and thank you so much for being with us today. And the floor is yours. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate the invitation and special thanks to Charles for uh, for initiating contact with me on behalf of the organization to, to invite me to come to be here today. It's just really exciting to get to be back here again. I was telling Chris that the last time that I was here was back when Steve Spiker was president a long, long time ago. And so I'm just really uh, grateful to get to be back. And so uh, Charles had asked me to uh, some thoughts about life journey and, and, and further background uh, for the purpose of uh, being of support to anybody in the future here who might want to run for office. So just to tell you a little bit more about myself, I, um, um, I was born with retinopathy prematurity. So I'm completely blind in my left eye and I have uh, 20 over 300 or less vision in my right eye. And so uh, the whole thought about uh, running for office was the, the last thing that I thought as a kid, because uh I I originally didn't think I could do much. And I don't know, a lot of us here may be able to relate to this where uh, I, I was actually bullied as a child a lot, pretty much every day. And it was just really difficult. So whenever even thinking about the possibilities of doing anything with my life, I, and to be really transparent and honest with you, I didn't really think I could really do much. And that was only um, that that way of thinking only gradually changed just by growing up and by having mentors along the way to be of support. But in all transparency, I really didn't have any solid view of being able to grow up to be anything of any significance at all. Uh, but because of my parents and various role models I had along the way, I, I started coming out of my shell roughly around eighth grade. And then I started my first experience running for anything was when I was uh, running for student body vice president in eighth grade. And there was a total student body of about 500 kids. And I remember 
how hard it was to even get 30 signatures to even qualify to run. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get the signatures. That's a lot of a lot of kids. And then I eventually got it. And then when I ran, it was against uh, another kid who who actually was involved with the student government stuff for a long time. And I thought I don't have a chance, but I won. And then that's how things uh, moved in a different direction in terms of what I thought was possible. So eventually, having been involved with student government later, I was junior class president and then student body president of my high school and was involved with student government in college. And then I went to Loyola Law School uh, here in Los Angeles and and eventually uh, became an attorney, having been licensed in 1999. And for the past several uh for, since then i i've been active on the civil rights front uh first originally just uh being an activist since i was 20 years old back in 1990 working on blindness related stuff just as an activist and then later in 99 uh, being licensed and then moving into the cross disability arena where I started at the Disability Rights Legal Center in Los Angeles, California. Then in 2002, I became general counsel and director of programs for the American Association of People with Disabilities, which is a national cross-disability advocacy organization. And at the time, AAPD had 70,000 members. And so I thought, wow, this has been really an incredible ride. And then in 2004, I ended up uh, joining the office of the assistant attorney general for civil rights. And, and uh, I was in different capacities. I served in different capacities there for a couple of years. And during the uh, time I was uh, at DOJ, I, I also was detailed over to the white house to serve as associate director for domestic policy under president Bush, George W. Bush. And then I went after uh, leaving uh, the justice department. Uh, I went to the U S department of education office of the assistant secretary, where I've been special assistant to the assistant secretary who, with whoever has been in office. And I've had that role for what will be 10 years, uh, the, yeah, this November. And between all of this, uh, I, I actually also um, have gotten two presidential appointments from different presidents of the United States. And uh, that was also completely unexpected. And so that that's sort of just generally uh, the professional background. And then in terms of my uh, personal uh, background, back in 2010, uh, came in there came into my life three blind, totally blind, triplet boys uh, in Arlington, Virginia, as introduced to me by a social service agency. And I was originally a mentor to them. And, and they originally called me Mr. Oli. And then uh, with after being with them for a relatively short period of time, it was clear that the role with them felt more than just being a mentor relationship. And so uh, eventually, a long story short, I adopted them. And so now my sons, Leo, Nick, and Stephen Cantos uh, are, are mine. And uh, on top of that, because they had faced different issues relating to bullying and being made fun of, the same thing that I went through, uh, they eventually grew in their confidence. And, and before they turned 18, they all um, each, they each became um, Eagle Scouts. And that made national and international news all over the world. Um, and the story was broadcast a total of more than 60 million. And in the meantime, uh, they continue to grow. And they're, they're now uh, continuing to go to school and, in, and are in college and are doing uh, great there. 
And uh, during the pandemic, I actually uh, ended up being authorized with the Department of Education job to telework. And so since the boys were already gone, I thought, well, heck, there's nothing keeping me here in the D.C. area. So I went back to California to be with my parents who are now uh, 77 and 84. So I wanted to spend time with them. And the thought was eventually I would I would return to the office physically. But last June, uh, I I asked if if uh, my employer would allow me just to stay here and telework 100 percent permanently, even after the pandemic subsided. And uh, they immediately approved of that. So that meant that I could relocate my residence from uh, Arlington, Virginia to West Covina, California. And so once they approved of my being able to stay out here permanently within six days, just timing wise, it was just perfect. Within six days, I filed my candidacy to run for city council here in West Covina with a population of a little more than 110,000. And so uh, I'd never run for office before. I had thought in the past that that I would want to run, but I was warned by various mentors of mine in the political arena that it is nothing like I'm imagining. I originally thought that when I would run for office that it would just simply be uh, just working hard, showing your merit, and then from there, uh, just making a difference every day. And, and being in office is all of those things. But there's also uh, another a side of this that was really intense. I had no idea that uh, being involved at the city council level, which was theoretically just a part-time position, would end up encompassing at least 60 hours of my life every single week since I was councilman-elect back on November 10th. And so uh, the, the thing that I, I found in going through this process was that uh, – as much as I had thought that I had an idea what it would be like to go through all of this, I had not a clue. And so um, Charles asked me to, to go through and explain uh, the different ways or uh, the, the different things that I did go through so that if any of you here are even considering running for office, you can learn from what happened to, in, in my case. And just to put it out there, for any of you who wants to run for office, I'm happy uh, to be of support to you on a nonpartisan basis. Uh, we really need to have more blind and visually impaired people in public office at every level. And whatever people's politics are, I'm eager to be of support to that because uh, the more we have uh, people in positions of power, uh, the better access we have uh, to to the, the levers of power that are controlled by various other people. And so when I set out to run, uh, the biggest attacks that were made against me were that I really haven't been back here in West Covina for a long time since I was away for roughly 19 years. So they said, literally, well, who is this guy anyway? Yeah, he, he was born and raised here, but he hasn't been involved in a lot of activities here. He barely came back here during the pandemic. Yeah, he's had D.C. experience, but he doesn't really know West Covina anymore like he could have had he stayed. So that was one line of attack. Uh, and, and then another was that even though uh, city council positions here are on a nonpartisan basis, uh, they looked up by political affiliation and then they, they, they viciously attacked me uh, in, in a number of ways. They sent out 
they, they spent a, a, my, I had two opponents running against me and they, both of them spent in total almost a hundred thousand dollars against me. So that included five separate mailers to every voter here um, in my district, um, along with uh, phone banking and uh, uh, people going door to door and um, spreading misinformation about me. And, and it was really difficult to endure because they literally took my, my political affiliation. And in my case, I'm a Republican. Um, and then they associated me with the most extreme uh, facets of the Republican uh, base. And then they said, what you don't, what West Covina doesn't know or what Oli Cantos, what Republican Oli Cantos is hiding. And they put that in big red letters. And then they put a picture of the January 6th Capitol dome on fire. And, and they, and, and so they took simple truths and they completely took it out of context. So the truth was that I worked for a Republican uh, president at the White House and that I also got appointment, presidential appointments under George W. Bush and Donald Trump. Those things are true. But what they didn't say is that uh, I worked on disability issues and they also didn't say that I won bipartisan praise for being supportive of people with disabilities and people of every party affiliation, including during the time I was at the White House, my getting Democrats to be appointed by the president to different uh, positions uh, within the administration. And they also didn't say uh, that some of my biggest supporters have been and are Democrats, uh, in addition to the cadre of Republican supporters. But in politics, it's not a matter of what's the truth. It's a matter of what can just what can get people to to have a reaction against a candidate if you don't like them or you want to try to pull them down. So I had uh, there was money that was that flowed in from outside of the city from sources that don't have any any uh, stake here directly. But uh, the, the the tactic was essentially to attack. And, and, and that's what they did. And so whenever I would go around and I campaigned, uh, I, I had to really learn how to get a thick skin because some people would say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm with you. I'm Republican, et cetera. And I said, I'm running on a nonpartisan basis. And they said, yeah, but we we heard you're a Republican. That's enough for us. And others would say, oh, you're a Republican. So we automatically don't want to support you. Who are you anyway? Especially you were appointed by that man who was president. You know, and they, they would yell at me. They'd slam the door in my face. In one case, they released their dog after me. Uh, and it, it was just vicious. It was vicious, vicious. And, and, and the whole time I had to keep uh, working hard to, to stay the course and to, and to just do my best. And so uh, my advisors uh, included people who have been through politics before. And um, my, uh, my team of advisors literally said, hey, Oli, the way that they're attacking you, you've got to attack back. I know you're a positive guy, but this is the time to fight. The way that they've been treating you, you've got to call them, you know, different names, et cetera. And I, I literally told the team, I absolutely refuse. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it because if I have to sell my soul in order to win, forget it. Then it's not for me. So what I did is I doubled down on on positivity and on my accomplishments as just as a professional of my contributions to the community um, and, and that sort of thing. And, and they kept attacking and uh, the reaction in the community was actually unexpected, where I thought because of the different attacks 
especially among people who didn't know me yet, I was in royal trouble. But what happened was because of the, the degree of negativity of those attacks, uh, people said, well, this is a bunch of garbage. If, if this guy, they're attacking him this hard, then there must be something good to him. And so I ended up actually recruiting a number of people who became political activists who've never done this politics stuff before. But when they saw that that um, I continued to, to work to stay positive, they actually became those individuals who got those those attack ads. They actually became some of my strongest supporters. And so the 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 movement grew where originally I had run uh, for just going door to door myself and asking my mom and dad to drive me and asking friends to take me around and dividing uh, volunteers into teams so they could drop off literature in different places. But what I didn't anticipate was how, how uh, people would react and and what they what ended up happening was that they reacted really positively and they said finally somebody who's just trying to campaign on the issues and not on by uh, not on partisanship and not on negativity he just only is just standing up for what he wants to do for the city and as much as they tried to to get me off message with you know through these attacks uh they they just it just didn't work none of it stuck and and this in, included they're having hired uh, somebody from the capital state capital here in Sacramento to consult with them to find ways to attack. And it had worked their Their game plan had worked in other instances. And plus, uh, politically in, in this area, this district, this area is majority Democratic. So their thought was if they just send partisan mailings to the Democratic uh, list, and then they they attack me the way that they did. Then it's a slam dunk because because uh, Republicans are outnumbered here by Democrats. But the whole time, I stuck to the reality of how the issues at the city level are not partisan. It literally has to do with making sure we have a good strong infrastructure, making sure that our roads are fixed, uh, addressing issues of of um, crime and graffiti and homelessness and working to find people jobs and enhancing opportunities for low income individuals to have access to the services that they need uh, that they would otherwise not be able to afford and uh, making sure to support senior citizens at the senior center to make sure they they had a bunch of activities they could do and and had access to uh, supporting schools and school districts. Just all of these things are nonpartisan issues. And it doesn't make any difference in my mind, whether somebody is Republican or Democrat or independent or natural law party or libertarian, whatever. The the fact is that a road is a road, that there shouldn't be any potholes in that road. And, and we, we should make sure the road road is paved well. There should be no graffitis on the walls around the city. There, there should be uh, supports for people who have, have every economic strata. So that way, uh, no matter what money they made or didn't make, they'd still have the same access to services. Just parks needed to be clean, et cetera. So that's what I ran on. And, and making sure that that youth had had access to sports programs and supporting senior citizens and making sure that that um, we had a lot of support. And so that's what actually ended up happening. And by the time all was said and done on election night, it was really intense because we didn't know what was going to happen. But at the beginning of the night, I was ahead. And then the the, the gap widened. And at one point against my my next uh, the next 
closest uh, uh, challenger, I was 13 percentage points ahead. That narrowed down to 10 percentage points, but it never went any narrower than that. And then that was with one candidate. The second candidate who got lower votes, I actually had more than doubled the votes that she had earned. And all and, and both of these individuals were the ones who went on the attack. They actually got different organizations aligned against me who 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 also paid for their own mailers. Uh, they, they did all that kind of stuff. But by the time the dust cleared and the election results were were in, even initially, it was clear that I had won. And the interesting thing is uh, disability itself was not a part of the campaign. Uh, I, I didn't uh, run on being an inspirational blind guy. I didn't do any of that. I just focused on the on the issues that were and are facing our community. And I stuck with that. And so whenever people had objections or when they were supportive, either way, it was because of, of the positions that I had. And so uh, the, the thing I loved about that is not that I ever hit blindness because I actually use a cane that's really, really uh, tall. So um, it's not that I ever hid my blindness. It's just that blindness was just a part of me and it didn't represent all of, of of what I could bring to the table. And so even though I never hid my blindness slash visual impairment, uh, it just was not an issue, even among the candidates who ran against me, except for one thing. There was one of the candidates who was supported by a former, uh, actually he was a candidate for office in a different district entirely. He literally waged a whisper campaign against me saying, well, he can't see how how can he really get anything done. And when I got word of that, I put a real long Facebook post together. I listed all of the blind candidates who, who had run, run for office and who were successful. I also talked about how we as a community of people who are blind and visually impaired, we have just as much capability. And I showed example after example. And I warned him and I told him, look, I know who you are who did this and you either – stand down or I'll come after you with all I've got because, um, and I'll, I'll name you, I'll name who you are because you know who you are. And so he stood down. I never named who it was, but yet he he had to learn his lesson. And by the way, that candidate who would run in a different district, he lost. And so it, it actually caused a backlash where when the community heard that this candidate who's not even running against me in my district, but who was supporting one of my opponents in his efforts to try to support my opponent by putting me down for reasons based on visual acuity, it completely backfired. So then what ended up happening was people who weren't even in my district volunteered to campaign for me, even though their campaigning for me was not their own district. It was there because that, that guy was in a different district, but they wanted to, to show their support in reaction by campaigning for me. So it turned out to be a blessing in disguise, but I really worked to, uh, to send the message uh, that, that I will not tolerate when people have limited expectations of our community uh, based merely on visual acuity. That's just absolute madness. And I was really proud about how, our community really came together in response to that whisper campaign. And, and so uh, he had to learn his lesson the hard way. Uh, and at the same time, I honored my word not to give his name. And, and then 
Interestingly, later, uh, I actually met up with him and he was nice and kind and everything. And so um, I told him, hey, next time you, you have any issues, why don't you just ask? Just ask. Don't make all these assumptions about us, because if you ever pull anything like that again, then I'll make sure in the way that you you spoke about me behind my back, I will bring it to the forefront and, and I will address it head on publicly. But if you have questions about what's possible for us as people who are blind or visually impaired, just ask and we'll I'll show you examples of success stories. So just because you can't see doesn't mean that you can't be successful. And and he understood that. And and we we ended up not only calling that a truce with regard to any of those past tensions, but I stayed in touch with him after that. And at one point, he even offered to, to take me home after um, a meeting that where we were together somewhere. He said, "Hey, do you need a ride?" I said, "Sure." And then in the and then on other fronts, what was really intense was that uh, recently, within the past month, over the course of just a matter of four days, just by coincidence. I ended up running into each of my opponents uh, uh, in the community because there was a, a, a thing called career day where, where different schools uh, show people in different careers. And so the first school that I went to for career day, one of the people who was there was one of my opponents and uh, from, from the election. But I was, I was just really happy to see her. And I, and I told her, hey, uh, if there's anything you need, I'm here to be of help. Let's talk. And then she actually made some suggestions that I implemented. And we moved on those, in, those suggestions. And then I reported back to her, telling her that she had made a difference because of the suggestions that she made. Um, and so that's how that turned out. And then on a different occasion the same week, I, I ran into my, the second opponent. And the reason why I knew he was there for this other career day at a different school is he came up to me. He said, hi, Oli. And, and, and so he, and, and he, he, he said who he was. And it was very friendly. And he literally said, you know, I don't know what I was thinking about that whole thing of running for office. I really, really enjoy my time with my kids who are still in elementary school age this council thing would have taken up all my time. So I wanted to win you only, but it was a blessing in disguise that I didn't um, because now I get to spend more time with my kids and, and I can never get these moments back. So long story short with those, those opponents is that um, both of them uh, and I are on good terms and I'm, I still reach out to them to say hello. And I've let the, I've let all that stuff with the election. I let it go. Oh, and the other thing I didn't mention is that, one of those candidates was support. There are five members of our of of the city council. City council consists of five members. So one of those candidates was supported by four members of the city council, and the second of my opponents was supported by the other one. So in other words, none of the existing city council members uh, were supportive of me. In fact, they each supported one of the other two candidates. So I came into this winning the election with none of them having supported me. So then after the election, when I won, they each congratulated me. And what I could have done is I could have said, well, you know, to heck with all of you. You all tried to destroy me in various ways. Not only weren't you supportive, but you walked against me. And then you seemed to be fine when those opponents were saying all this negative half-truths, these saying all these negative half-truths against me. You know, how could I work with all of you considering how you tried to destroy my reputation? But instead of doing that, 
I reached out to them with open arms. I reached back to them and I said, thanks for, for your congratulations. I'm really eager to get to know you better and to see how I can be of support. And so fast forward from that time in November all the way through now on July 3rd, where we are now, uh, I have a good working relationship with all four of my colleagues. And the fifth one who I replaced because he didn't run for office, I have a good working relationship with him too, where he actually still reaches out to me every week just to see how I'm doing and to offer to be of help. In the meantime, uh, with, uh, with the council, uh, members of the city council who are now my colleagues, it has, been, it has been so much fun getting to work with them and to be of support wherever I could. And so it, it's just really, it all turned out for, for the good. But the, the, the intense thing, most of all, was once I was elected, I didn't realize what access to the corridors of power at all levels that we, we get. Uh, in the past, whenever I would reach out to different elected officials, and I, may, I don't know if, if any of you has had this experience, but you would call their office or you would write to their office and they would, they would give you either a form letter or they wouldn't even answer at all, depending on the context. And so that was what I was used to, where they just didn't really respond that much. But then literally when I, when, uh, I was elected, there was this one instance where I wanted to meet with our member of Congress. And literally, even though it was less than 24 hour notice and I wanted to meet with her, uh, I, I ended up getting to meet with her. And, and not only that, but she, she was kind and warm and genuine and caring. And it was as if, she met a long lost best friend, you know, just hugs and everything like, Oh, congratulations. So glad you won We're I'm really excited to support you. Here's, here's my home number. Here's my cell number. Here's the number to my chief of staff. If you need anything, call me that kind of thing. And I thought, wow. And then separately state senators, state members of our state assembly, other elected officials from other cities, county people, wherever, just different people, all across the the political structure, all of a sudden, because I'm elected, I literally can get their cell phone numbers. I can reach out to them directly. I don't have to go through staff. And then the great thing has been that whenever I wanted help in making a difference in the community, I would call different companies or different nonprofits or different other elected officials. And I'd say, hey, I need your help on this. And they'd say, sure, what do you need? And then within literally a matter of hours, it would get done. Like there's this one thing after I was elected where there were 106 kids in the foster care system in the city of West Covina. They were working on getting them gift cards and everything. And they reached out to me, this organization, and they said, we need gift cards for these kids. So we have to raise another $5,000. I don't know what we're going to do. The, the thing is next week. Uh, is there anything you can do? So I started putting in calls, long story short, Within a matter of five days, I ended up raising $5,650. They had more than what they need to cover all, the, uh, all the, the gift cards for all the kids. And in the meantime, the various people who were involved uh, made a big difference. And so um, I'm only bringing that up here because uh, just to tell all of you, if ever you, you are thinking about running for office, it's important to realize that it is going to be the hardest fight you'll ever engage in. It, it will involve personal attack. They're going to say things about you that are blatantly not true, or they'll take things out of context. They will bring your family into it. They will say things about you online. They'll attack you relentlessly. They'll attack you offline. There'll be whisper campaigns against you. They're going to paint, paint you in a way that you know you're not. But if you can make it through all of that, 
Oh, and by the way, that doesn't even count fundraising. I had to raise um, money and I'd never done this before. And so I raised roughly $25,000 to go against the roughly hundred thousand. So they, the, the, my two can opponents outspent me four to one. And yet I won them um, significantly hands down. And so you're going to have to go through a lot. You're going to have to go door to door. You're going to have to uh, handle people slamming the door in your face, yelling at you, sticking their dog after you, all kinds of stuff. And it's just part of it. And there's no other way to get through it except to just endure it. Uh, I have members of Congress who are my mentors or, or who are former members of Congress. And I would vent to them. And this one guy who I vented to, he's a Congress, a former congressman from Texas. I, and I said, gosh, you know, all these some of these people, they're mad at me, but they've never they never took the time to, to get to know me or to listen to what I have to say. They're already just passing judgment against me. And they've never even tried to sway my opinion before I make a decision. And then they're already attacking. And I don't know what I've done to them. I done to them. I haven't done anything to them. And then my mentor friend, he said, you know what? Here's my advice. Are you ready? You have to listen to this. And I said, sure. And he literally said, get used to it. Get a thick skin. Get used to it because it's not going to change. That is just how it is. And so that's what I've learned how to do where I still have the fun of, of loving the positive aspects of this job and being able to reach out to different elected and appointed officials, calling them on their personal numbers, et cetera, making a difference wherever. But it also comes at a cost where I, I don't have the same kind of personal life that I used to uh, up to now. I, I've been chairman of the board for an organization called Respectability, which is a $4 million nonprofit cross-disability national advocacy organization. I served for two terms as chairman of the board there. And because of the stuff with the city, I, I've already announced that I'm not running for re-election to a third term as chairman. And so later this month, I'll be stepping down because all the city stuff has sucked away all of my time. And I have my and I still have my day job because I still am with the U.S. Department of Education Office of the Assistant Secretary during the day. I, I, I compress working uh, 10 hours a day for four days a week. And the rest of the time, the only thing I do is city stuff. That's it. And it just changes day after day. And so it has been intense. And at the same time, I really am so grateful uh, for for the rewarding aspects of all this. And I'm grateful to people from across the country who literally gave me money for the campaign up to the max of $615 per person. Uh, and and they, they gave it to me knowing that if I got elected, it wouldn't affect them at all because they're not even in the same state in many instances. Some of them were who were even in the same state. They're not even in the city. But yet because of the support of, of people uh, really backing me and believing in me, we were ultimately victorious. And that now positions me to help pave the way for the next uh, set of people who wants to, to come and join me on this side by being an elected official too. And so um, uh, Chris is the boss. So wanted to make sure to open up time for questions or discussion or wherever you'd like to take this, but I'm just really uh, appreciative to uh, Charles uh, for having invited me here because he, as, as a retired judge, he has been enormously res well-respected in the legal community. And, and he also on his own time was very helpful too, with regard to uh, these efforts. And so I'm grateful to him and, and for this chance to make friends with all of you, because uh, I, I, I'm just, just so grateful to have the chance 
to have good, strong working relationships wherever I can. And so when Eric got the AFB job, I, I reached out to him right away. Like, oh, my gosh, this is so exciting. You know, and then and then um, to have known other friends who've served in different council capacities in the past. Uh, so I, I'm really just excited to get to be here and to be of support. So with that, Chris, I should turn over the time back to you for whatever questions people might have or whatever you like to facilitate. Okay, uh, Ollie, thanks. I'm going to ask you the first question because uh, I've in being in politics for a little bit uh, back around the, the turn of the, the century, um, I found that uh, all that teasing and tormenting and torturing when we were kids uh, to be great preparation for being in politics and being able to handle stress. Would you, uh, would you agree that that was good preparation? Yes, Chris, absolutely. Uh, when I was a kid and I was verbally tortured that way, I literally, I was really sensitive. So I literally would cry and I would be, I'd be mad at myself for crying. And then I'd say, come on, Oli, man up, stop it. And I'd be mad and feel like I'm not strong enough. And then all of that tormenting and bullying actually did prepare and pave the way for this now because now when people do it um, instead of reverting back to those days where I was the I was the victim of bullying now I'm like yeah you're all adults whatever you know it doesn't really matter now because I'm used to it <laughs> and that was it you know and it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt sometimes but at the same time when when I make it a point to have around me different people who I can call who I can vent to uh, then they help keep me on track um, and that's what all of us should do where if we make sure to have a support system around us, then even when there are moments of weakness or doubt or struggle, those people will hold on to us to keep us strong so we can make it through whatever storm we're going through. Absolutely. And I think the other important thing is that uh, I learned how to value the opinions of those that I valued and the people that I had no relationship with, you know, say what you want to, I don't care. Exactly. Uh, life's too short to worry about what everybody else thinks. Okay, yeah. we're going to open the floor for questions. Uh, we'll start here in the room, and we've got a microphone, and I think we've got a microphone runner, don't we, Swafa? Yeah, yes, we do. I'm, I'm here. So if anyone has a question, we uh, raise your hand. Uh, my name is Jeff, and um, I do have a question going back to uh, your original talk back in the beginning about your personal life and your kids going through the bullying thing. I guess mm -hmm. I'm surprised that that still occurs in the school system. I would have thought that that would have been uh, taken care of and cut out by this day and age, but uh, apparently not. And then also, I, I really didn't hear anything about any kind of significant other. That's my questions. Thank you. Sure, Jeff. Well, uh, in in this case, um, um, I've, I've had significant others over the years, but because of um, all the work and, and everything that's been done, I, I haven't uh, made the time uh, in that way over more recent years. Um, but, but the funny thing is my boys, uh, two of them have now been dating. And so um, one of my sons, uh, Nick, he came up one day, he put his elbow on, he rested his elbow on my shoulder, if you could picture this. And, and he said, hey, uh, Dad, and I'm like, sure, yeah, son, what do you need? He said, you know, if you if you need any advice on women, I can help. I'm like, go away. <laughs> so it's really funny. We, we laugh about it. But, I mean, I'm still an eligible bachelor taking applications. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, but prim- primarily I've been focusing on on the different aspects of work with regards to my job or jobs and do other things. And, and so I don't have any significant other at present. And, and with regard, Jeff, to, to bullying, yeah, it does still occur. Um, the Office for Civil Rights, where I work, has documented cases that are still filed now about how, how kids are, are bullied uh, in school, kids of different ages, based on all sorts of reasons. And so it continues to be a problem. Um, but that's why we need to teach uh, kids resilience. And we need to also teach uh, uh, other student or students about the importance not to just be a bystander because any injustice to which we don't help um, address is an injustice to which we contribute. So uh, uh, kids have got to also learn to help stand up for their classmates so that way there can be an environment in which there is zero tolerance tolerance when it comes to bullying. Well, and I think the thing that's made it worse is social media, there's no filter. And when you allow children to bully through social media, they can there's no filter there. They don't have to worry about immediate reprisal because they can they can go on social media and and they can do that from wherever. And I yeah, think that's, that's true. made it that that's kind of that part's made it worse. I think it's in a way it's good to survive bullying because it does help you deal with with difficulty and with uh failure and with with things like that because i think a lot of times kids now don't know how to deal with failure because they haven't been allowed to fail and exactly life is full of failure and you have to know how to deal with failure to be a success yep absolutely right and and learning how to bounce back from failure is just as important as as celebrating successes when they when they do come because if kids don't learn resilience then uh, it it actually can bode terribly for them in the long run because they don't know how to cope when things don't go the way that they absolutely wanted it to go. And that's why when people, when these days in this generation, younger kids talk about, oh, you know, step into your power by being your authentic selves. I say, yeah, you should always be your authentic selves. But if you authentically have low expectations of yourselves, then, then that is not really being your authentic self in the sense that you are having an underestimation of what you truly can do. And so when we each talk to kids about stepping into their power, it needs to be with the understanding that they have more power than they think. And it means also that they need to have the power to persist and the power to get up when they do make mistakes and when they fail. Because if they don't do that, then uh, they'll have a false sense of security. If people pad the world too much and they think, oh, yeah, the world's easy, not a problem, then when something happens, it can create a major life crisis. Okay, we'll go to Zoom. Uh, could you recognize one uh, on Zoom, please? Robert. Thank you. <laughs> Oli, Ro- Robert Acosta here. I just oh wanted God, to tell you Bob. how very proud Bob. I am and others are of, of your achievements. I'm happy to state that Oli received a scholarship from the California Council of the Blind right. many, many years ago as a young law student. And um, I just think you're great. And when I saw your name on the announcement here, I said, I have to be here to thank him. Let me only add, uh, I'm, one of, I'm an old soldier in this movement, the organized blind movement, but it's the greatest. But we were fortunate in the days, the early days of the California Council, when we had Assemblyman Ernie, Ernie Crowley, who himself was blind. And we were considered the Rolls Royce of the disabled in California, because of Ernie Crowley and guys like that, we are great lobbyists. Thank you for all you've done. I don't have a question, but I'm truly thrilled to hear your voice. 
Thank you. Bob, oh my gosh, you, I want to say this publicly. When I was new to learning about the, the blind movement and as an 18 year old kid, you were the one who took me under your wing. You made sure I got to every of uh, spring and uh, fall convention. You introduced me to Derwood McDaniel, uh, one of the legendary leaders of the council. You, inter- you introduced me uh, to uh, various other people. Uh, and, and you always said from the very beginning, the students are our future. And I want to be of support to you in whatever way I can. And I never, ever forgot that. That was in 1988, 1989, 1990. And Ruth Ann, I remember her from then. I remember you lived in Chatsworth. Oh, my gosh. You're just you really played a role in my life at that time. And it's an honor to to hear your voice and to say publicly here how much I appreciate that role that you did play in my life. I'm really grateful. Wow. It's good to hear from you. Margie. Oli, my friend, (laughs) it's Margie Donovan. Um, Wow, what a powerful presentation and not at all surprising to me the way you campaigned. I've known you for 30 plus years and you campaigned with the integrity that you carry through life. And I hope that you will move forward in your political career. Keep climbing the ladder. I can see you as governor of California. You know, we, I think many of us in this country are crying out for people like you that do not go on the attack. Stand on the beliefs, on your on your firm beliefs, stand on what's needed. And I'm proud to call myself your friend. And it's so good to hear you, my friend. Oh, thank you, Margie. You are wonderful. I remember I attended my first meeting of blind students of California, and you were supportive from that very first day. And for us to be in touch with one another all these years later is such a blessing. You are a wonderful human being. I didn't realize today was going to be a reunion of sorts, but I'm really just grateful to you for for just being just always there on, on Facebook online, you would reach out and check periodically. And, and I, I, even though we haven't physically been around one another in, in a number of years, I still feel as close to you as I've always felt. And I'm just really, really grateful just to you for, for the way you live your life. And, and, and it's, you're, you're a wonderful example that I continue to, to love to follow. Ted, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I want before I ask my question, I want to say, Ollie, that you and I, about a decade apart, went to the same college, Loyola Marymount University. Oh wow. And it raises a question that I have, which is when you were campaigning for your council seat, did you receive any assistance uh, from members of that community or from the blindness community? I did, actually. I I received support from um, alumni, including friends who I went to school with. And the the guy who was one year ahead of me in college, uh, his name is David Herbst, who also became a success in his own right. I asked him to come back and and swear me in. So uh, and and the really touching thing was when he came, he brought uh, he he read words from Tony Coelho, one of the principal authors of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, and Tony's words were directed straight to me and, be, and being elected. And Tony himself, a, an LMU uh, alumni, alumnus also, he also contributed to the campaign. And, and it was just really, I mean, I love our alma mater because 
uh, there at LMU, uh, we had a chance to thrive where, where they wanted us to be involved in every way we wanted to be involved. Uh, I, I was there when someone named Sidney Stansbury was the director of student of uh, office for students with disabilities. And it was just one person compared to what we have now. And, and LMU is a really, really great place that continues to cultivate. And I love later, uh, Ted, to talk with you offline to share um, memories with for us to share memories with one another and to see how we can both join forces in supporting our, our old university. Melanie? Thank you. Hey, Yali, it's Melanie Brunson. Um, and I wanted to say, first off, congratulations. I was so excited when I saw that you were presenting on this. And um, I'm curious um, if you can talk a little bit about what it was that um, motivated you to run specifically for for city council, given um, you know your your vast experience in um, in you know working with federal officers? What was it that made you decide to do this in, in, in specifically? Well, um, Melanie, first of all, it's really good to get to to see you. Um, the the thing that really motivated me here at at um, this level was that uh, I, because of what I had learned from my years in at, in government at the federal level, I thought, wow, I could bring that here to bear to make a difference in the community that I grew up in and the community that I really love. Uh, I've literally been here, when um, counting all the way from the time I first moved here with my parents, it's been 49 years and the city has changed and has gone through things and we're better in some ways, worse in some other ways. And I thought, gosh, if I can actually leverage the experiences that I've had to make the city better, I really want to do that. And my mentor who was in, who was on the city council for, for 25 years, he, he literally said no to me when I asked for him to be my campaign manager and to, and to support my being a candidate. He literally said no to me twice he said, you know what? You don't realize what you're getting into. You really should just go back and do your federal stuff. You've been appointed by presidents before. Go and do that. Do stuff at the state level. Do not just come back here to West Covina. Uh, we, you, you should thrive and do other things. This is just too much of a, of a melting pot of drama for it to be just um, be the best use of your time. And I, I just told him, I still want to do it. And, and, and finally, the third time, he said, okay, well, I'll support you. But if you, if you do this, you do it all. You do it. You have to be all in. And I mean, really, really all in. You have to be prepared to do more than you ever thought possible or that you could do. And there will be times that you will want to quit and you're going to just have to stick with it. You cannot let go. And I said, Steve, I've, I've persisted before. He said, no, you don't understand, Oli. I'm repeating again. It is going to practically destroy you. You better understand that. Because if we, if I do this with you, we're going to go in, and no matter what, we're going to hold on. I said, I will, I will do it. And then so he said, okay, then I'm in. So he became my campaign manager. He helped me with all the paperwork that I didn't know how to do. He helped me make sure that I was compliant with election rules, that kind of thing. And then after after all that with him, um, there were days of the campaign where I just thought, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? And I'd call Steve and I'd say, Steve, this is insane. Why is this all this happening? He said, I told you. And he said, so you're going to have to keep at it because we're in this together and you are not going to stop. You're going to keep going. You're going to have to learn to bucket up and just do it. I warned you. This is exactly why I warned you. So you said to me that you're going to do it. So we need to keep at it. So that's what we did. 
And so I, I'm just, it's been really intense, but that's why now with anybody even remotely considering doing this stuff, I'll tell them the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between about what this takes. And if we could get more of our own members of the, the community of people who are blind or visually impaired into office, let's do it. And it doesn't matter to me if they're Republican, Democrat, independent, if they're willing to do it, then imagine having uh, more of our people in office because I'm, it's just incredible. I mean, one thing I didn't anticipate was that uh, once I came into office, suddenly disability access was a big priority around here. And then the next thing I knew, the city dedicated a seven-figure amount to, to improving disability access, and they just did it on their own because they saw that I was I was starting to to do a little digging and look at look look at our accessibility needs. Even though I did campaign on that, I am always and forever a disability rights activist, whatever role I have. And I'm just grateful that just by being here, um, it's it's already been resulting in access changes in this town of ours. So I just love it. That part of the things I really love. Hi, Ollie. This is Claire again. Another praise and shout out to somebody who's been a great mentor in my life. So just wanted to echo everybody and say it's great to have you here. Um, I just had a question or just kind of an interest. Um, when you were campaigning, I know we talk a lot these days about intersectionality and leadership mm-hmm. and wanting to see more of that in the political realm. As a person mm-hmm. from you know the Pacific Islander background and having a disability and running, do you feel like you were able to kind of bring that intersectional view into politics? Did you get backlash because of that? I'm just curious how that played out. That's a good question, Claire Stanley, and it's really good to see you again. Um, uh, intersectionality is, is important for, for all of us because uh, beyond the traditional categories that we think of, where we think of race, gender, sexual orientation, nationality, national origin, that kind of thing, there are other aspects of our intersectional identity where we're uh, athletes, we love sports we we don't love sports we love other things like whatever it is we there are many aspects of who we are uh that that govern uh who we are and what i i've uh i ran on and what i live by every day is supporting people uh with whatever their backgrounds are and in the sense of making sure that they recognize that the thing that we need to all come together on with whatever our backgrounds are, is the issues that bring us together. And in this case, within a city context, all the issues that I brought up earlier, it, it, it's really important that we not only um, address those issues, but we also have to recognize how our various intersectional identities have an impact on how we view the world. And it they also have an impact on, on what we can contribute because there is – uh, when 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 people of different backgrounds come together for a shared cause, then by virtue of the diversity that everyone brings to the to the proverbial leadership table, then we're we're able to address those things based on commonality and based on a shared commitment to making life better. And and so what I love about about these city council positions is that it's a non. Um, sorry about the background. So. Um, it's that when it comes to these positions that that we do this on a nonpartisan, bipartisan basis. And so when we can find a way as a society to identify things that we really can work together on with with whatever our ideology is, that's where we can really create magic. Like around here, uh, my ver- the people who've been really actively, avidly of support 
are people who are big time Republicans and big time Democrats and independents and libertarians. And I have people who, who have uh, different religious traditions and some are not religious at all, etc. But the key of what brings us all together and what I think the, the sleeping giant for us as a community of people who are blind and visually impaired is that we have a ton of people who would be amazing in serving in elected and appointed office. And, and when we can get our, our people to the polls, when we can make sure to arm them, to, to make sure that, that they have what they need, then we as a community of people with disabilities that we're a part of, we become stronger. But the best part is we're strong because of who we are as a whole. And, and, it's, it's, and, and disability is part of who we are. But it doesn't govern all of who we are because we, again, like what you rightfully pointed out, Claire, we all have different identities. And so when we embrace all of that, then then we really tap into an incredible, incredible untapped power source of our ability really to make a big difference. Sherry? Um, first of all, Ollie, I'd like to congratulate you on all of your accomplishments. Um, I'm from Pleasant Hills, Pennsylvania, and... In a borough not far from where I lived back in the late 90s, there was a blind gentleman who was on their city council, and he was also their mayor. He ran for city council, and he won. Then he ran for mayor, and at the end of his first term, he decided not to run again because, like you, he needed his private life back. So again, I just wanted to congratulate you because you're the second blind person I know have heard of that is in this position. So congratulations and thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Uh, This is really um, exciting. And and here with regard to the role of mayor, we rotate in this town. So my year comes up in 2027, but because that's the fifth position, there's an automatic succession with a rotation that's set by a local ordinance here. So for me to be mayor, I will have to win re-election to the city council. And then my first year in re- after being reelected, if I'm reelected, I'll be mayor. But my fourth year here, I'll be mayor pro tem. So um, it's it, as time progresses um, and, and our, our uh, collective profile as a community grows, then, then it'll position um, me even better to be of support uh, to, to our friends here from the council, as well as, uh, to to the broader disability community writ large. And I just love this stuff. This is just really um, a time to be really grateful for all that we can do. Hello, uh, Oli. Uh, my name's Danielle, and I'm from Florida. And I just want to say, first of all, congratulations on running and winning. That is awesome. Um, I'm huge in the Democratic space here in the state and um, and helping to get um, Democrats uh, elected across the, the country. And I am, like you, really um, passionate about this. And I really want other young people to uh, with disabilities to get involved in the political space. But I feel like my friends don't understand why I'm so passionate about it. Um, do you have any words of advice for me as the person who's like, really into it but like uh in order to get my my other blind friends and uh friends with disabilities involved do you have any words of advice sure danielle um first of all uh to identify issues that they care about that intersect with what you're committed to changing 
so that they see that a way for them to facilitate the kind of changes they want is for them directly to support you. And uh, the Democratic Party is really good at nurturing young uh, talent and really uh, getting people to be involved. And, uh, and, and it's, it's really incredible because of the infrastructure that, that exists there. Uh, and, and, and the thing that's also good is that there are a number of, of issues beyond disability that they themselves, as people with disabilities, might care about. Let's say they themselves are, are fellow Democrats as well. With whatever other issues that, are, that they're passionate about, when you share your passion about those same issues, then those will be additional reasons of why uh, they uh, should be of support to you. And, and, and the thing, because the thing is, uh, disability is just part of the platform. And depending on, on your area, a good key strategy, Danielle, is to look at the priority issues that are in your community outside of a disability context. And especially if you're going for a city council position, look at all of the local issues that, that don't t- touch party platforms at all. Uh, so look at your infrastructure, look at what needs to be changed, how things need to be better, how there needs to be more support for parks and recreation, sports, senior citizens, you know, the, the stuff that that brings everybody together. Because when you do that, then you will also attract Republican support. Because when um, I mean, I'm not sure how it is in Florida, but here with our council positions being nonpartisan, if you have anything similar out there then give people of every political persuasion reason to vote for you and to be of support to you on city issues. When you do that, then you will have people who are avidly in your corner, who are both your Democratic friends as well as your Republican Party friends. Uh, and then and independence, because then they'll say, oh, my gosh, Danielle's vision for X in our community. I share that. And that's why I want her to be elected to office so she can address these issues head on, whatever it is. And if you could get the pulse of what the community is asking for and that matches and is authentically in line with who you are, then then you're off to the races and you're off and running. Um, and then um, when you combine that with making sure to recognize that it's important to raise money, then go to everybody who you can uh, to, uh, to do that and, and look at your, your targeted goals of, of who possibly can help you from all across the country. And then there will be people who will who will uh, gladly give to your campaign because of the prospect of having you be successful. So if you want to talk more about this, if you're looking into this, I'm happy to walk you through all the details of um, whatever I can do to help you get elected. Deborah Kendrick. Thank you. So hello, Oli. I almost said Ollie because there's an Ollie in my life spelled just like Oli. <laughs> so um unlike the rest of your fan base here i have not met you and only knew about you because of the touching story of your adopting the triplets i remember adding you to a list of people i'm a writer and i wanted to interview you but now i'm glad i didn't because now there are more reasons to interview you in the future <laughs> to make you even more famous than you already are. Um, I, I, do, I do have a question. Actually, I have two questions. But before I ask my questions, I just want to say um, how wonderful it is that you're doing what you're doing. 
and how wonderful it is that you have the story of those three boys in your life. And to the man who was surprised that bullying is still a thing, I just want to say that if anything, I think bullying is much more pronounced today than it was in my generation or yours. And um, and I hope that it's an issue that you put on your priority list. I, you know, the, the, well, anyway, I could go off. I, I care a lot about children. Um, so my questions, and I care a lot about blind people. So I have written about some blind politicians in the past, and I've always been sad that they don't seem to self-identify as blind if they can get by, if they can pass, so to speak. Mm. So I would like to know, you mentioned a long white cane, and that made me very happy. And so I'd be interested to know about other blindness skills if you're a Braille user. And then, so that's one tangent that I'd like you to go on for a moment. And the other is just a very practical one. Um, how much do city council people get paid? And does your city council provide accommodations for you in the sense of, you know, reading, driving, etc.? So there you are. Blindness skills and uh, remuneration accommodation. And it's really nice to meet you. I hope I get to meet you in person sometime. I'd love to get to meet you too, Deborah, and thank you for your kind words. I really appreciate it. I'm going to share that with the boys earlier when I, I, I talked to them. So I was actually in, I skipped this part of the story, but I was actually in denial of my own blindness for 20 years um, in the sense where, I mean, uh, Bob would also remember, I didn't even use a cane, even though I should have. Um, and and I, I just, because I thought that it was stigmatizing. I thought, well, if they see me as a blind guy, they're going to stereotype. They're going to think I, they sh- they sh- there should be pity on me and I don't want any pity, all that. Then I evolved where now blindness is part of, a part of who I am. And I, and I, I wear that proudly. And I learned Braille uh, as an adult because as a kid, I was able to see large print, uh, but it was just very slow and cumbersome. And so um, you know, my Braille skills are a fraction of what my son's skills are. They can read hundreds of words a minute in Braille and I can't. Um, and so I've had to adapt to my slower Braille reading by using uh, a voiceover or, or using, you know, uh, finding a way to, to read through materials by using other technology. I'm still an active proponent of Braille. And I consider myself to be, from a Braille standpoint, functionally illiterate still. Um, and I'm only, I only talk about that because I don't want other kids of this generation to be denied Braille because they can see a little bit. I mean, it's true we should use technology as best as we can, but we also should look at efficiency. And, and I am not an efficient print reader, and I'm not an efficient Braille reader either. And, and so I've had to make um, do, and, and, and it, it continues to be a struggle. So uh, while my other co- council colleagues can take a script and read it, I can't. Um, not because blindness itself is a problem, but because I'm just not a fast Braille reader. And then so I'm I'm working now that I have to do more prepared remarks at times. I'm working on doing adaptations as best as I can, but it's still a work in progress. And so um, I, I self-identify as a blind person. 
Um, and, and I also say to folks that there are people who are blind who have visual impairments where they still have, see some. And there are others who self-identify as being visually impaired. But whatever it is, we are who we are. And we just need to be proud of who we are and, and then move from there. And so in terms of accommodations, um, I, I um, get my Uber transportation re- reimbursed. Um, I have access to uh, they're, they're willing to, to pay for any reader accommodations uh, that I need. And, and, and uh, that's essentially all that I've been asking for uh, because the rest I've been able to make do. But they've always made clear if I need anything uh, just to let them know and they'll, they'll make sure to, to do that and, and to, take, to take care of it. So I'm really grateful to the city for not making me feel uh, bad for, for saying, well, gosh, you know, we don't have any of that, but make, do your best. Right away with whatever I needed, they said, just tell us what you need. We'll make it happen. And they, the staff has had a really wonderful go-getter attitude about my accommodations, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and then that's also actually rippled out culturally to how they uh, approach accommodations of, their, of, of our own staff uh, who are employees of the city, where disability is just part of, part of how things are. But there should be no reason why there can't be reasonable accommodations because it allows people to be uh, really effective at what they do. And, and, and I also am very interactive with our staff. And so they know that it's a safe space for them to do with whatever they need, that if whatever they need from the city, if reasonable accommodations can be can be done, then all the better. So that way they can be at their best, too. So it, it really does have an impact that I am on the city council. Uh, and it also has an impact that I'm very direct about how we need to be uh, not only accessible on paper, but we have actually programmatically, physically and attitudinally must also be accessible. Hi, Ali. It's Charles. Charles! Hey, I'm really happy that you accepted obvious invitation to present to the convention. Um, we had originally thought that you would be presenting just the obvious, but it seems like you have a um, great information, you know, great information. And, you know, uh, the value of your presentation is great for all of us. So I, I really am glad that you are here today, and uh, you know, and, and I'm glad that you got in uh, into politics. You didn't answer one of my questions, though. I want to know: Do you have any intentions of going on to other political offices? I forgot about that one. Yeah, um, I actually um, eventually want to run for Congress in 2036. Um, uh, in the meantime, I, the reason why I'm not doing that any earlier is because I, I with uh, my time in the federal, in the federal government, I, I want to continue my career there, but at the same time, it's all always a matter of timing. And right now I'm just so new at this. I just want to do a good job with where I am. And it's interesting because people at the local and uh, relatively regional level have already started asking. And I said, nope, nope, uh, whoever's because there's a congressional seat that's up next year. And I said, no, that's not the right time. I need to make sure that the city knows that I'm not here to use this as a stepping stone. I'm here to get my work done and to do a good job. And then later uh, in in a number of years, if I still am around this. I'd, I'd love to run for, for Congress. My grandfather was a member of Congress in the Philippines, so politics is in our blood. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm focusing on being the best 
member of the city council, mayor pro tem, mayor that I possibly can. So that way, whatever legacy I have in the future will be marked with accomplishment and, and greater support for the community. But hopefully Congress will be the final stop po- uh, politics wise. Thank you all very much. And thank you so much, Oli, for taking time uh, with us today. And we appreciated your words and and your time with us. And good luck as you uh, serve the citizens of West Covina, California. And we look forward to uh, having you around uh, again and look forward to your uh, being being active with us here at Avia. And uh, thanks for those of you who have been here in the room, as well as those over Zoom and ACB Media. We appreciate you listening in and asking questions. And uh, thank you so much for this time. And this concludes this session of the American Association of Visually Impaired Attorneys uh, sessions here at the conference. Thank you very much.